As we come up on Veterans Day, we want to honor our veterans, especially people like Robert Salas, who served on active duty with the U.S. Air Force for seven years after graduation from the U.S. Air Force Academy in 1964. He earned a master's degree in aerospace engineering from the Air Force Institute of Technology, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Remember that one? He also worked with the Titan III Missile Systems Program Office at Los Angeles. And after being honorably discharged from the Air Force in 1971, Mr. Salas briefly worked as an engineer for the Martin Marietta Aerospace Company and Rockwell International. From 74 until his retirement in 95, Mr. Salas worked for the Federal Aviation Administration as an aircraft structures engineer. Robert Salas, back on Coast to Coast. Robert, how have you been? Well, hi, George. I've been fine, just fine. Uh, it's been a, a long time since I've been on Coast to Coast. Of course, uh, then it was uh, Art Bell. It's, it has been years. It's, you're still doing mathematic teaching? No, I retired from teaching also. And uh, so right now I'm just putting all my focus in on this uh, this mysterious subject. And mysterious it is. And your story is one of the most incredible stories of any UFO, UAP story I've heard. Tell us about what happened. What did you witness and when? Okay, I'm on uh, uh, March 24th. 1967, I was a missile launch officer uh, assigned to Mellison Air Force Base. Uh, but uh, on this evening, we were located uh, at uh, the Oscar, what we called Oscar Flight. Uh, we had control of 10 Minuteman 1 missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, nuclear, and uh, well, sometime in the evening, uh, I was in command. Uh, my commander was taking a rest break. Um, and uh, I got a call from the topside guard. He said, uh, sir, we've been seeing some strange lights in the sky. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall exactly what he said. It was uh, pretty much what uh, I was... <laughs> You probably heard in other places, but uh, these lights were flying very fast, stopping on a dime, reversing course. Yep. Making 90-degree turns, um, no engine noise, but very strange lights. He said they were not airplanes. Uh, sir, he was not uh, kidding. He was not joking around. It was uh, very professional. You, you took him seriously, didn't you? I did. I mean, uh, I... I took the report seriously. It's just that uh, uh, I had no real interest in uh, at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't think it was anything serious enough to really report these lights in the sky. Um, I, I want to mention that uh, the local newspaper in Great Falls, Montana, where Melchior is located, um, had reports of uh, sightings of UFOs uh, uh, from the townspeople and also farmers out in the fields. Uh, and we'd see these from time to time in the newspaper. So I, uh, at, at that time, I didn't take this subject seriously. So uh, even though he gave me the report, I, <laughs> I kind of joked about it a little bit and then uh, said, thank you. And uh, let me know when something more important happens. And, 
Uh, we hung up, uh, and then five minutes later, he calls back, and this time he's really frightened. I can tell by his voice he's extremely frightened. Uh, he says he's got all the guards up with their weapons drawn, and uh, they're looking at a glowing reddish-orange pulsating light. He described it as a big light um, uh, hovering above the front gate, and uh, he wanted me to tell him what to do next. Uh, you know, I think, um, uh, well, he was very frightened. Uh, and, uh, this could be some sort of a, an assault. Mm -hmm. An attack, on the sure. Uh, I told him, and this time I took him very, very seriously, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, there's no, uh, no joking around here. Uh, and so, um, I told him to make sure the security, uh, the facility was secure, that nothing entered the, the, the fenced area, um, the, what we call the launch control, uh, launch control center. Um, and it's heavily guarded, isn't it? Oh yeah. We had, um, well, at least. Six guards, seven guards up there at all times. Um, uh, and then he said one of his guards was injured and uh, he had to go. So he hung up the phone. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, at that point, uh, I was very, very uh, nervous that we were under some sort of an attack upstairs. I woke up my commander, of course, started talking about the phone calls, and then uh, all of a sudden we hear these um, bells and whistles and horns go off in the capsule downstairs. We were 60 feet underground, and we were not allowed to open the, um, the large door that, of the capsule, uh, obviously, in, in case this was a physical attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we wouldn't want to have anybody have access to those missiles. It's like a bank vault, isn't it? Yeah, right. So uh, we looked over at the um, panel. We had a display panel that showed the status of the missiles. And sure enough, one of the missiles had gone down. And then very shortly thereafter, uh, all 10 of the missiles had gone down. By down, I mean... Uh, uh, they were in uh, unlaunchable status. Um, uh, they were all uh, could neither none of them could be launched at that point without the codes, I guess. No, it had nothing to do with the codes. The missiles had shut down. Uh, they were not operational at this point. Um, with this object still up there. Ah, okay. Uh, so. So uh, we went and checked. Uh, we had a, a way of checking the uh, failure mode of each of the missiles, and they each read out um, guidance and control system failure. How unusual is that, Robert, for the missile systems to go down? Highly unusual. I was there for three years on active duty there as a missile launch officer, and this is the only time uh, more than one missile went down and for any reason at all. Now, I want to emphasize this was not any power failure. We had power the entire time. Um, 
Uh, and you have backup generators and everything else, I assume. Absolutely. The missiles were triply redundant with regard to power. Uh, we had uh, backup generators and also batteries that would, uh, you know, take over the power load. So uh, uh, then I, uh, we also had a couple of sites where we had uh, what we call uh, incursion lights or uh, intru possible intrusions into the launch facilities. Now, the launch facilities are where the missiles are actually located. The physical location of the missiles was about a mile or two uh, away from the main capsule that we were located at. Uh, so that meant that uh, I had to send guards out there to check that out. Uh, I called back up and uh, talked to the main guard, asking first uh, about the object, and he said it just had it just flown off at high speed. Um, the uh, man that was injured had cut his hand uh, somehow. I, I never got those details. <laughs> Um, because uh, of the um, secrecy that surrounded everything after this incident, but um, and but it, it was not due to the UFO. It was simply due to either uh, uh, something to do with his weapon, or uh, he cut his hand on the barbed wire fence that we had around the facility. Um, Robert, after 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 the silos went down, what kind of meetings and discussions happened the day after? Well, um, uh, let me just uh, tell you what happened. Um, the day after, we were relieved by another crew uh, sometime in the morning, and then. Um, a normal relief that you weren't being punished or anything, right? No, no, this was um, uh, routine. Okay, uh, okay standard. You know, we, we were down there for 24 hours and then relieved by another crew. Uh, and then we were ordered back to the base. We were helicoptered back and uh, ordered to report to our squadron commander. Uh, we walk in there, and there was a man from AFOSI along with the squadron commander. The first thing I said was, uh, uh, what the heck was going on out there? Uh, was this some sort of an Air Force exercise? Because <laughs> I, you know, I had no clue as to what had just happened. Uh, um, and he, um, he turned white as a sheet, said he had no idea either. Uh, so it was not... Uh, he assured me it was not an Air Force exercise, uh, which we wouldn't do, of course, with operational missiles. We had they, they had to be operational at all times. How long were the missiles shut down? So the procedure was to go out, in this case, uh, to send a targeting team out there to retarget the missiles and to... Uh, uh, it's a process because we had an inertial guidance system. We didn't have GPS satellites at that time. So uh, the guidance of the missile after launch was uh, calculated uh, 
through the inertial system. In other words, we had gyroscopes, we had uh, accelerometers, velocity meters, and so that kind of things to uh, uh, to calculate the um, uh, but but uh, to calculate the the uh, route the missile would take uh, on target. Uh, uh, so that had to be reset. In other words, the missile had to be reoriented, uh, and uh, the uh, guidance system had to be reset, and uh, and that sort of thing. It it would, took about uh, I'm sure it took about a full day to get all the missiles back up on alert. Wow. I mean, that must and have had the brass scattering, huh? Oh, it sure did. Yeah, we had reports uh, that. Uh, uh, the brass from um, um, SAC headquarters uh, at Offutt Air Force Base uh, were out there the next day, and these were these are letters and reports we got from various people that have written to us. Um, so it got a lot of attention. Um, uh, however. Uh, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, uh, after my commander called the command post when the missile went down, he turned to me and said the same thing happened in another flight of missiles. And I thought he meant that evening, but as it turns out later, I would find out after doing my research that um, that was the echo flight incident, uh, which happened eight days earlier. Explain that, Robert, if you can. Explain so that. That happened on March 16th, 1967, about eight days prior to our incident. It's a very similar incident. Um, uh, Colonel, retired Colonel Walt Fiegel was in command at uh, this other flight uh, when one of his missiles went down. He had a a couple of crews out in the field that had spent the night out there uh, because they were doing regular maintenance on two of the sites, two of the missile sites. And he called out there and said, what, what are you guys doing? You're not supposed to start until I, I uh, give you the okay. And uh, I said, we, we didn't do anything. By the way, there's a UFO just above us. And uh, so they reported UFOs. He also sent his guards out there and they reported UFOs back to them also. So um, we had quite a few people reporting UFOs over those sites, and then all 10 of them went down rapidly. So within the span of eight days, we lost 20 nuclear missiles uh, during UFO encounters. Robert, you waited 27 years to go public with this. Was there a reason you waited so long? Yeah, I... I was about to tell you that uh, when I was in the office with my squadron commander, uh, this man from AFOSI was also there and and ordered us to sign these non-disclosure statements that we would never talk to anybody about these uh, the incident that happened to us, uh, and that was you know in perpetuity. Yeah. He said you can't talk to your wife, your your spouse, or your your family, uh, anybody in the Air Force, uh, nobody, uh, without 
breaking the law and uh, spending a lot of time in jail. And I'm sure they meant it, didn't they? Oh, yeah, it was in writing, actually. They they actually had uh, Leavenworth Prison uh, written in that uh, NDA. <laughs> Robert, as you, look so, ba- as you look back now, what do you think yeah. the occupants of these UFOs were trying to prove to us? I think they were trying to send a message, uh, and this uh, message was simply to, uh, uh, well, in my... In my estimation, uh, to uh, get rid of these uh, devices, these nuclear weapons, uh, uh, because obviously, uh, I think it's obvious now that these can't be used in war. Um, President Truman said that, uh, and a lot of other people have said that. We we can't really have an all-out world war again with nuclear weapons oh because God, they, no. they're so destructive. Um, so, um, that goes into, uh, a, a lot of the discussion I've put into my new book, uh, on deterrence, on the fallacy of this, uh, philosophy or theory we have of, of building up nuclear weapon storage, uh, you know, storing a lot of nuclear weapons as a deterrent to nuclear war. Exactly. Uh, it's a fallacy because it has resulted in a, as you know, um, uh, kind of a race for who has the most nukes. <laughs> and it's also in, inspired other countries to want nuclear weapons. So uh, at this point, you know, we have about nine nations that have nuclear weapons. Two of those nations are at war with each other right now. It's um, Pakistan and India are fighting over the uh, Kashmir region and have been for some time. They're both nuclear powers. And um, uh, as you know, we've been threatened uh, with the use of nuclear weapons by Russia and North Korea. And uh, Robert, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back and chat more. Next hour, we'll take calls with you. Robert Salas with us. His latest work is called UAPs and the Nuclear Puzzle. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with Robert Salas. His latest book is called UAPs and the Nuclear Puzzle. We will take calls with Robert next hour here on Coast to Coast. His website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. He's also got a YouTube presence and Facebook as well. Robert, do you think, truly think in your heart, that if some nation was prepared to launch nukes against another nation, ETs would step in and stop the launch? Well, uh, I have no idea what they would do, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they they have proven that they have shown that they can do exactly that. They can do that. That's right. Uh, but the question is now, uh, you know, there's there's two possibilities. One, they might want us to have a nuclear war to uh, emphasize the point that uh, these weapons are horrific and uh, highly destructive. Of course, we know that. But um, we haven't uh, gotten to the point where we've taken seriously the idea of, of of taking them all down, abolishing them. Uh, 
there's no point, as I see it, in having these weapons of mass destruction. They're, they are uh, pretty much doomsday machines um, for every living thing on the planet. I wonder if they went through this themselves. That's that's I thought of that too. Um, you know, if they're an advanced civilization, they probably had conflicts among themselves, such as what we're going through now, and um, maybe developed uh, nuclear weapons themselves, and realized that uh, the insanity of the whole thing, and uh, and um, and gotten rid of theirs. So I, I you know, that seems to me. Uh, possibility. You've got some of our dear friends that have written snippets for your new book, James Fox, Thomas Carey, the late Stanton Friedman, I miss that guy, Donald Schmidt. Yeah. You've got some heavyweight hitters, and uh, Leslie Kane wrote the foreword to your book. It's well done. Yes. It's, it's well done, but the, you, you feel as if after 27 years, they're not coming after you for revealing this anymore. No. Um, you know, I went uh, first uh, on a, a national radio on this show with uh, with, with, with uh, our Art Bell. Bell. That's right. In uh, November of 1996, and before that, I gave a um, interview to the Great Falls Tribune, and it got front page uh, uh, right up um, on this very incident. So. Uh, uh, no, if they were going to come after me, I think they would have done it by now. What well, was this covered up by the government? Absolutely. Um, after the Echo incident on March 16th, and then my incident on March 24th, uh, we were never told about these incidents during our daily our, our briefings. Every time we went on alert, we'd have a a briefing of the crews uh, to let them know what was going on in the field, uh, any testing or any uh, anomalies that were happening, and um, we never heard a, a word about this in the, in the two years after that that I was still there at Malmstrom. Uh, it was definitely a cover-up. Uh, like I said, we had to sign NDAs. We couldn't talk to the guards. Uh, the guards called me the next day and begged me to come see him and talk to him about, you know, <laughs> what had happened. And um, I couldn't meet with him uh, because I was uh, ordered not to. How many of our different missile bases have had this happen to them now? So I was going to mention the uh, uh, David Schindel, uh, who is another witness, uh, uh had an incident where he relieved the crew that all their missiles had been shut down during a UFO incident uh, at Minot Air Force Base, in, uh, and that was in 1966. There was another incident in 1968 at Minot. Uh, we've had incidents at many of the nuclear bases, uh, Ellsworth, um, uh, Francis E. Warren, uh, and uh, all these are listed in the, my recent book and previous books. Uh, I think I've, I've accounted for about 13 such incidents or similar wow. incidents Huge. Uh, all over the world, actually. 
Robert, if a plane were approaching one of our sites, a plane flying in, how far out would it be before we knew about it? And then what precautions would we take instantly? What's the procedure? Uh, we, we did have uh, a radar that covered uh, this, uh, sensitive areas. Um, uh, flight restrictions are, are part of uh, uh, these areas. In other words, uh, we can't have either civilian or military aircraft flying over these areas. Uh, just in, uh, monitor, we have radar monitoring, um, and we have scrambled jets against these um, uh, objects before at Mount Shimano. We, we actually had a fighter interceptor squadron uh, located right there at Mountspeed. So uh, they would be intercepted. In this particular case, with the UFOs, we never scrambled, did we? Uh, you know, I don't know those details for these particular cases. I do know that we have scrambled jets uh, uh, interceptors uh, against UFO sightings at Malmstrom uh, at different time periods. What has been the reaction, governmental-wise, to what you've been saying over all these years? Well, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if you recall, I think it was June of last year, where there was a hearing. Mm-hmm. You were there. A house hearing. You were there? You were there. And, um, were... No, well, no, I'm not talking about, uh, no, I, I was not there. Uh, but uh, Congressman Gallagher uh, brought up the Malmstrom case to um, uh, Assistant uh, Secretary of Defense um, Moultrie and um, Mr. Bray, I'm not sure where he's from. I think he was in, uh, from an intelligence agency. But uh, at any rate, uh, they <laughs> at that time claimed that there was no official reporting of this and that they had no uh, in-depth knowledge of, of the Malmstrom incidents. But uh, Gallagher did ask them to look into it. So earlier this year... February, I did give um, a complete briefing to Arrow, uh, and uh, and it is now an official historical record. I've got notification of that uh, from Arrow. Um, so any congressman or senator that wants to look into the details, I, I presented, uh, I think, 22 uh, pieces of evidence um, uh, and uh, uh, gave a long presentation, about a two-hour presentation. So any congressman and senator that wants to have access to that should be able to get it, I would think, uh, because it is uh, now an official uh, record, uh, historical record of my testimony. And that goes for uh, David Shindelli also and Robert Jacobs. Robert Jacobs had the incident uh, outside of Vandenberg Air Force Base uh, in 1964 when he uh, was able to videotape uh, uh, UFO flying circles over uh, one of the test warheads that had been uh, uh, 
launched from uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base on a Atlas rocket. Why do you think, Robert, the ETs, that's what I'll call them, mm-hmm. did not annihilate our missile sites then, just simply blew them all up? Well, you know, uh, I can think of a couple of reasons they might not. Uh, they they could have. They had the capability. <laughs> uh they would have caused, uh, what, a, uh, I guess, uh, a serious um, incursion or intrusion into our defense system. And uh, uh, I don't know that they want that. So they may have a policy of non-interference with what we're doing uh, and just monitoring what we're doing and, uh, and sending us the uh, a message now and then, which they, I think – that these incidents, and like I said, there have been many worldwide uh, uh, incidents where they've just flown over nuclear weapons storage areas and shown a beam of light and flown off. Um, and these are simply, I think, messages of uh, their concern uh, for our nuclear, we- uh, the, the fact that we have nuclear weapons and uh, have not um, seen the light uh, to. Uh, to get rid of them. It is truly remarkable. It's probably one of the greatest UFO stories I think I've ever heard. Has your life changed since this happened? Well, I think it has. Um, I, um, I've spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of time uh, on, on this uh you know, speaking on uh, podcasts, radio shows, television shows, uh, et cetera, writing books. And in that sense, uh, you know, I've, I've had pretty much a, a commitment to uh, revealing this to the public um, for uh, over 30 years. So that part of my life certainly has changed. I would consider you, Robert, one of our American heroes for coming forward for having the guts, and for telling this incredible story to us. Well, thank you for the um, for the compliment, but uh, I don't consider myself a hero. I, I'm doing this as a, a responsibility that I believe I have because it happened on my watch, right? I, I was there. I owe it to the public uh, to tell everyone the world public uh, about this and and um, uh, so we're I'm, I'm not I'm not done I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep at it until uh, first of all um, our government recognizes the uh, this publicly uh, which they haven't really done yet uh, and then uh, work for the abolishment, like I say, of nuclear weapons. And uh, we can't, like uh, Oppenheimer said, we we cannot uh, believe that this can't be done. Are you glad you were working that day? Am I glad? Yeah, um, that you were there? uh, It's... I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't say I was glad. I, I 
I'm like I said, it, it happened when, on my watch, and therefore it's my responsibility to report it to the public. Truly, a remarkable yes, story. And uh, yeah, what has the uh, perception been from the public to you and your story over the years? Yeah, I think I've gotten a lot of support from the public. I'm on social media, on Facebook, and uh, X or Twitter, and uh, I've got a website. The public's been very supported, supportive uh, throughout the years for the most part. Uh, I, certainly, I've had some detractors, um, but anybody that wants to see what evidence I'm, I've got or I've collected, uh, can go to my website, spiralgalaxy.org, and uh, click on the link that says Malmstrom uh, Incidents, and they'll see uh, quite a bit of evidence, including audio testimony from uh, my commander, Fred Mywald, and, uh, and um, Walt Siegel, who was the commander at Echo Flight uh, during the incident, and uh, his commander, uh, in writing, uh, so I've got various documents I received under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, which I, I've also included in my first book, uh, Faded Giant. Uh, so I, th I think I've, uh, I've got a complete story out there for anyone that really wants to look into it. What have your friends and family have said about this? <laughs> well, it varies, of course. This is a paranormal subject, uh, meaning uh, it's hard for some to swallow. Some of my, uh, for example, my uh, uh, one of my close relatives is a highly religious uh, um, person that. Um, uh, thinks that these could be uh, demons from uh, from hell or that sort of thing, and uh, uh, you know it's uh, they're entitled, of course, to to believe what they want. Uh, anybody is. Uh, uh, we don't have all the answers, so there's a lot of speculation surrounding this. Um, uh, so I think it, my my family, my immediate family, uh, covers the spectrum of. Uh, of beliefs about this subject uh, as in the general public. Amazing work. Well, stay with us, Robert. We've got an hour of phone calls with you when we come back in a moment on Coast to Coast. Robert's website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com, and we will be back with your calls next.